0: We are finally entering into Mark chapter 10, and this is a pretty big set of scriptures because Jesus addresses questions about divorce and marriage. Obviously, I'm not going to do an exhaustive teaching as the Bible has a lot to say about marriage, divorce, and various other relationship issues, but we're going to try and stick to the basics today as they pertain to this scripture. Let's look at Mark 10, 1 to 12. Jesus then left that place and went into the region of Judea and across the Jordan. Again, crowds of people came to him, and he, was, as his custom, he taught them. Some Pharisees came and tested him by asking, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? What did Moses command, he replied. They said, Well, Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. It was because your hearts were hard that Moses wrote you this law, Jesus replied. But at the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united with his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no man separate. When they were in the house again, the disciples asked Jesus about this. He answered, Anyone who divorces his wife and marries another woman commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another man, she commits adultery. This is is one of Jesus' boldest teachings. And I think we need to spend some time looking at it and it's gonna be a fun morning. Now, between Mark 9 and Mark 10, some Bible scholars believe we are missing some pieces. Other accounts of the gospel add in these pieces, so perhaps Peter, who Mark heard all of this from, maybe he didn't go on these particular trips. Now, the other options are maybe he did not feel they were particularly important, or we have another Dead Sea Scroll scenario and we'll find missing manuscripts 200 years from now. Whatever the reason, we have the Bible we have today. And in Mark, he's telling his version of the story as Jesus ends up in Judea. So let's talk about marriage. Marriage. Early Hebrew concepts of being joined to someone start in Genesis. Here, a man leaves his mother and father and goes to his wife. From there, we learn about relationships, drama, consequences for actions, and even more drama. Eventually, we get to the book of Deuteronomy, where Moses gets... To make some rules for us. As Jesus just alluded to, these are laws that Moses wrote. Now he says this If a man marries a woman who becomes displeasing to him because he finds something indecent about her and writes her a certificate of divorce, gives it to her, and sends her from his house, and if after she leaves his house she becomes his wife, the wife of another man, and her second husband dislikes her, And writes her a certificate of divorce, gives it to her, sends her out from his house, or if he dies, then her first husband, who divorced her, is not allowed to marry her again after she has been defiled. That would be detestable in the eyes of the Lord not to bring sin upon the the, the land the Lord is giving you as inheritance. Okay, um... weird stuff. But before we decide to throw things at Moses for what is included in here and what is left out, let's put this into perspective. The Bible is not a sexual ethics book or a manual on how to conduct your life in the terms of marriage. If you haven't noticed yet thing yet, um, Things change from generation to generation in Scripture. This chunk of rules from Moses to the ancient Israelites comes at the end of rules about the earnings of prostitutes, not being able to um, charge interest to an Israelite on a land deal, and being able to not, you can't steal the the crop from someone else and, and harvest it on their behalf. At some point in time, women were treated as possessions, and marriage, for the most part, was a legal obligation, declaring your ownership of another person. For Moses to write this, there was clearly some problems going on in this culture. If we understand that this was the late Bronze Age and human rights were not really all that developed, that might help you moses rules would have helped progress the narrative but from our standards not a whole lot at this point men had all the power in society and in marriage and between moses and jesus there is a gap of roughly 1600 years depending on the dating system you're using but for 1600 years let's say rabbis, scribes, Pharisees, religious leaders, and even just working-class Yahweh followers, they would have tried to interpret this law amongst others. As societies change, so does how they saw the law and tried to get them to apply to their lives. So that is 1,600 years of arguing, fighting, debating, thinking, reading, processing, an ancient set of rules for an ever-changing and progressing culture. Even just think about how old Canada and the U.S. are as nations. Things were very different 150 years ago in Canada. Human rights were far worse than they are today. Women weren't allowed to vote. You could legally hold slaves, and interracial marriage was illegal. So take that... And shift it all back even further, 1,600 years, and imagine how bad it was. Jesus, as we know, did a few things in the name of equality that were unheard of. He spoke to a Samaritan woman at the well. He stuck up for a woman who was caught in adultery and scandalously let his feet be washed. By the time Jesus came along, there were two camps in the Jewish world when it came to divorce. One was highly conservative, and the other was highly liberal. These thought camps were led by popular rabbis of the time, which each would have had significant influence on elements of the Jewish population. This is similar today, today, of course, because there are always two camps, no matter what the issue, the liberal and the conservative side, and then the other guys in the middle. Much like this topic, some say times have changed, and some say... Times have not changed. You can either stand firm on divorce is always bad or divorce is permissible. So beside the Jewish tensions with the topic of marriage and divorce, there's also going to be Roman tensions that we need to consider. Now, we have entered Judea now. This is Roman territory, specifically that of Herod Antipas. He is a fun character, as we know from the narrative of the crucifixion and other ancient writings. The the Jewish religious system was heavily influenced, if not controlled by Herod. So when the Pharisees pop up with the comments and questions, we should be a little suspicious of why. Do you remember John the Baptist, Jesus' cousin? So John the Baptist was a vocal critic of Herod especially of his divorce and remarriage habit. This ended poorly for him as he was eventually beheaded at the request of Herod's lady. Now that Jesus is back in Judea, what a convenient time to pop up and ask Jesus, well, what do you think of divorce? Obviously, Jesus knew full well what he was saying and the implications that were attached to it. This showed us that he wasn't going to play the Pharisees' games, he wasn't afraid of men like Herod, and that he wanted to move the narrative along even further when it came to the rights of women inside of marriage. There was a balance that was being restored. Now let's shift from all of this to look at the matters of the heart. Hopefully this will bring some clarity for today. How do we apply this to today? Now, Jesus said that Moses needed to give a set of rules. He needed to give a set of rules because their hearts were hardened. This, of course, was evidenced through their actions. If a man decided that they didn't like their wife anymore, or he found better, or she displeased him in some way, he could divorce her. Jesus was moving things from this archaic thought pattern. Now, this, uh, there was an encouragement here to start taking responsibility for actions. Jesus was saying, no, you can't just get divorced because you're bored. He outlines in Matthew, cheating as a reason, and Paul gives commentary later on as well. But it all comes down to the heart of the matter. Is N.T. Wright, who illustrates um, this with the manual for a car. Now, there are different highlighted items in a manual that are, are going to be needed immediately. Single light, signal lights, wipers, how to change a wiper blade, um, proper seatbelt use. Then there is the, hopefully I don't get to this stuff. Like, what to do if you get a flat tire how to handle a car that is skidding off the road or what to do if you get into a collision no one buys a car and expects that you're going to get rear-ended or hit ice and skid off the road but there is potential that it will happen no one goes into marriage expecting that it's going to be perfect forever and that you will or that you will end it in 7 years and 2 days Life pops up and happens. We don't know what's coming around the bend. I've performed many weddings in the last 20 years. Often I get to attend the reception and spend time celebrating with everyone else on these big days. But you know what? You can never tell which ones are going to end poorly and which ones are going to continue and gain strength. There's one piece of advice that can give us some guidance from scripture guard your heart in proverbs 4:23, it says above all else just guard your heart let jesus speak into the situation guard your heart life is going to happen i will never tell someone who's being abused to just stick with it that's ridiculous when we are faced with extremes we respond with wisdom That's common sense. This message, though, today is not about that. We can talk about common sense and when to walk away from bad situations another day, but I, I believe that this has more to do with commitment than anything else. This is the stuff that comes up before you get to walk away scenarios. In the Bronze Age, men were not taking responsibility and divorcing for whatever reason they wanted to. As a result Jesus seemed to bring up commitment issues think about any organization in the world they're going to have a set of core values these are relatively useless unless they become core practices this is when follow-through happens action I can think about how much I love my wife but unless I show her it's useless This is where I believe couples need to come up with philosophies that hold them to a set of mutual accountabilities. In my experience, there has been um, three areas that come up over and over again in pastoral conversations where tensions are created. Now, these are the three areas that you can build philosophies around that'll help you in the long run. Even if you aren't married, build personal philosophies around these that help you know what you're looking for out of life. Number one is finances. How you approach and handle finances is going to be a huge piece of a relationship. Set goals. Make a budget. Stick to the budget. Decide if you are savers or are you spenders talk about retirement early take the guesswork out of your finances and you'll have less secrets and more communication in your relationships the second one is always sex or sex related i won't go into this too deep because i'm not a counselor but communication with your spouse is important you can save a lot of awkward conversations just by talking The third is external relationships, how you interact with families, friends, and coworkers. This area is going to greatly affect the quality of your conversations at home. All of these come down to what is obvious. It is communication. Being on the same page and living in a world where you respect each other for who you are, it's going to help you. It's going to help your commitment and help you keep your heart in a safe place. Remember to guard your heart. You have to be open with the people around you in order to do that. St. Augustine had some interesting thoughts on this verse. He felt that it had more to do with commitment to the body of Christ. Even in Scripture, the church is referred to as the Bride of Christ. In Ephesians, Revelation, and John 3, I'm reminded of the verse, though, in Ephesians 5 where we're told to love our wives as Christ loves the church. An unguarded heart leads to an inability to follow through. We have the ability to build healthy philosophies and treat other people with respect and care. This will serve us well in marriage, church, life, and Is any relationship we have with people that come in and out of our lives. If you make a commitment, follow through. Not until you get bored, but until it's done. I I hope that today was helpful for you, um, for some of you today, and I hope you find healthy ways in your life to guard your heart. I know if you do, you will see God change the world around you as you see it. In order to do that, stay humble, stay focused, and above all else, guard your heart.